you would open your Bibles to John chapter 8, picking up this morning in verse 12 as we continue our study in John's Gospel. John 8, verse 12, down through verse 30. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, You would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Lord, in your light do we see light. In the radiance of Your glory, would you show us Jesus, the light of the world? Would your spirit impress this good news upon our hearts so that we would not be counted among those who die in their sins? 
but follow in this life and the next in your light, Christ. Help us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If we get started, you probably think, what's going on? We just skipped like several verses here. If you have an ESV or likely any other translation, I invite you to look at it. One odd thing is that verse 53 finds its place at the beginning of chapter 8. And there it sits with a bracket going down to verse 11. And it's noted with this. The earliest manuscripts do not include John 7, 53 through 8, 11. Some modern translations include it in the text as a footnote. Removing it from the main. You can read about this throughout uh, much of the history of the church. There's been a divide, Eastern and Western church. And we'll actually talk more about it. We are going to come back to this text. The thought is that it's, um, it finds historical uh, precedent, but not in this place. Not in this place. It makes sense to continue going through John's gospel because it's a seamless transition from what we've been hearing to what Jesus will say today. If you have questions about your Bibles, ask them. I would love nothing more than to go grab coffee and talk about the wonder of the Holy Spirit in giving us our Bibles. It's incredible. And things like this remind us, by the way, this isn't the only place in the Bible that does this. It reminds us that the Bible didn't just poof and come into existence. It reminds us that there's a historical trajectory of the church and the apostles' witness giving us this treasure. The Spirit uses people like you and me. Isn't that crazy? So don't let something like this rattle you. Again, if you have questions about this, I've read more of the past two weeks. I'm loaded for bear. So come on, let's talk. With that in mind, let's jump into our text. From the beginning, the Bible is a story of light and dark. Genesis 1 into the formlessness and void of the world, God said, what? Let there be light. There was light. And the picture we're given in the apocalypse, that's the other bookend, John's apocalypse. At the other end, we read this. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Into the darkness, light is spoken, and at the very end, there will be no more sun or moon, not because light isn't necessary, but God Himself will be there. He is light, and in Him, there is no darkness. So this is the trajectory of all of Scripture, but it's also the trajectory of John's Gospel. 
He said it from the beginning. The light is breaking into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness does not win. To understand what Jesus is saying in this wonderful I am statement, we need to reckon with the dark night of sin in a sin-sick world. Sin translated is to miss the mark, to miss the target. And all of us in life miss the target. That's every single one of us. And it equates scripture again and again, equates that reality with darkness. Sin is real. Every single one of us are a part of that in our world. That is a dark reality. A world of our own personal sin. A world which we are being impacted by sin. Cancer is real. Sickness is real. Death is real. Sexual brokenness. Tragedy striking. Dark, dark, dark. Following the disobedience of our first parents... Our world was plunged into darkness. Remember what Paul says about this in Ephesians 6? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present... What's he say? Darkness. He calls it dark. Spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So our world is dark. That's why John again and again keeps up this this drumbeat of Jesus and light. It's exactly what he's doing. Like a dramatic sunrise dawning into that, we hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world. We will never fully get the weight of that that phrase and this statement and the reality of what he's saying unless we consider the darkness. If you're here, you're like, man, not really. This world's not dark. I'm not dark. Everybody's fine. You're never going to hear the good news of Jesus lifting his voice and saying, I am the light of the world. Though the darkness, though this world was dark, Jesus, the cosmic light, came into it. He came into the world that we might be led in his light. There are those here this morning in dark places, which, by the way, this darkness is believer and unbeliever alike. In Christ, we are offered light through his death, burial, and resurrection. This is the light that the world needs. So first, this light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them. This reminds us that we're in the same place where we were last time. He's he's interacting with the same crowds. We need to remember the the whole context. He's talking to a crowd, which includes Pharisees, and he continues his interaction in the temple. And two weeks ago, we heard Jesus powerfully offer himself as water. 
living water. Come those who are thirsty and drink. And we said it was part of this ceremony, this feast, that they would, the priests would take water from the pool of Siloam and they would trumpet through the city with like a parade and pour it over the altar in the temple. It was incredible. Everybody knew water had something to do with this feast. And they could have been at that very moment, I imagine them coming by with the huge pots of water and pouring it in and into that. Jesus is saying, you're thirsty and you're thirsty for me. Come to me and drink. So he's saying this whole feast applies to him. Well, we have something very similar happening today. Elements of this feast pointing to him. Part of this celebration is the lighting of four massive lamps. Okay, these are, these are at the corners of the temple, the court of women, the outer court of the temple. And I'm talking huge. These are, these are massive. So they would use um, old priestly garments that were worn out and unfit for use. Those were the wicks for these lamps. Clothing for an adult male was a wick. These lamps are huge, and it's part of this massive celebration. Priests would light these lights from the hilltop. They would light up the entire city. All of Jerusalem lit up at night. And this is so hard for us to appreciate because we have light on all of our streets every night. We don't understand how incredible this must have been. That once a year, at this feast for a week, they're going to light up the city. It's incredible. Listen to this historical description. Quote, men of piety and good works danced through the night, holding burning torches in their hands and singing songs and praises. The Levitical orchestras cut loose. And some sources attest that they went on every night of the Feast of Tabernacles with the light from the temple area shedding its glow over Jerusalem, end quote. It's a huge festival. A major part of the festival is water. Jesus says, you thirsty people, you come and drink of me. And, and the other major part of this festival are the lighting of lights. Firing up the, the dark night sky. A direct quote from someone who had seen the festival of light says this, He who has not seen the joy of the place of water drawing has never in his life seen joy. It is a party. They are loving it. Why, did, why light huge torches like water from the rock? It was to remind Israel that God himself was their light. They are to remember when God brought them out of slavery, how did he lead them? A pillar of fire. He lit up the night for Israel. He was their rear guard. When enemies were coming to get them, you're not going to make it through this pillar of fire and light. God himself was their torch. They are to remember, remember the light. Remember that we are redeemed because the light saved us. Remember, remember, remember. And into that context, Jesus 
again stands up in the crowd with all these mixed emotions and people wanting to arrest him and all the rest. And he says, I am the light of the world. That is a staggering reality. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is taking on himself all of that imagery from the Old Testament. And as they fire up those four massive torches to light up the whole city, Jesus speaks to them, saying, this is all about me. I am dawning into the darkness of this world. We heard this in our opening song, send out your light and your truth, let them lead me. Let them bring me where? To your holy hill. To your dwelling. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? We've been given a tiny glimpse in chapter 1. It says his light is the life of men. In other words, this is utterly necessary for life. If you and I are to live today, we must have this light. Do you know what would happen if there were no sun, moon, or stars? You don't have enough resources to outdo that. Everyone will die. Have you ever been in utter darkness? And I mean zero light. Unless you have something to light your way, that is utterly horrifying. It's terrifying. Because you realize, you realize without light, I'm, I'm a dead person. I'm dead. I can't get out. Jesus is applying all of that to himself. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. Notice the article. He is the light. He's not saying this. He's not saying I am a light and there are several other options for light. That is not what he says. And they would have called the the exclusive nature of it. He used the word the. I am the light of the world. The only way that any of us can see anything is because Christ exists. We would see nothing in our world. We would know nothing unless he lives. How does God introduce himself, the great I am, to Moses? Light, fire. Again and again and again, God puts forward himself as light. Jesus goes on to tell them that his being light means something for those who come to the light. Whoever follows Jesus will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Walking in the darkness is precarious. It's life or death. I enjoy outdoors kind of podcasts, and recently I heard a story of a very dear friend of an outdoorsman. They had set up camp somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. The guy went, the sun was still out, very experienced woodsman. He goes away from camp. She's gonna go check out something before they make camp and make dinner. 
And then he died on the side of a cliff because he had forgotten the light. There he was in the darkness and he was coming back and no light in a situation like that easily means death. That's exactly what Jesus is offering here. Life to dead men stuck in darkness. Here he is. He's he's the pillar of fire at night right here. His glory is shining, blazing with radiance. We heard in the prologue, we have seen his glory. So they walk around looking at this Jesus, and he's saying, I am ablaze with glory. Look at me. Look at me. You need to see everything else in your life in relation to me, Jesus is saying. Psalm 36.9 points forward in application. With you, there is a fountain of life in your light. Do we see light? Listen, because he is the blaze of God's glory, we can see. He's saying, I'm going to be like that pillar of fire for you. Walking with Jesus will be walking with the blaze of his glory. Walking with Jesus, following him by faith, means being able to see and navigate in this dark world. What does a people look like who who live in the radiance of this invitation of Jesus? Matthew tells us we don't have to wonder. You, Jesus says, are the light of the world. The light of the world. This light reflected from Christ to us, his followers, continues to light up the world. Just like he promised that living water would come in from him and flow through our belly out into the world. The same thing is true of light. We no longer walk in darkness and we can shine this light into the lives of others who need it, who are stuck in the dark. The question we're left with, like all the other I am statements of Jesus, is a very easy one. This isn't hard to apply at all. You come to the light. Have you come to the light? He keeps hammering again and again and again. Do you believe this? Do you believe that this is God himself? Are you in this light? In a series of essays called The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis writes, quote, I believe in Christianity. As I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Jesus is not only offering perspective about himself, Seeing him and all his radiance, seeing him for who he is, he's also offering perspective on everything else in the world. Obviously, the Pharisees hear Jesus claiming to be the center of this festival again, and obviously, it's going to pluck them up. They do not like it. 
They know exactly what he's saying. It's not veiled to them, and they're going to come at him. So the, the rest of this is showing us time after time after time what John has already introduced, that the darkness will not overcome the light. It's not going to happen. What does it look like for the world to interact with the, the invitation of Jesus? Will they see this blaze of glory in him? What we see here are reminders of the way the world deals with the gospel. And we're going to see Jesus interact with the world's view of him. The first accusation brought by the Pharisees is that you're breaking the law. You can't witness to your own identity. They're talking about the law. Only, one, only on the evidence of two witnesses shall a charge be established. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, you're making outlandish claims and you're the only one saying it. They conveniently leave out everything else John has already told us. The witness of John the Baptist that this is the Lamb of God. Nicodemus saying, we know that you are a teacher come from God. One of their own crowd acknowledging Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. And him going to tell the Pharisees they had witness after witness after witness. No question they heard the signs that Jesus performed in Galilee. Feeding over 5,000 people. From virtually nothing? Jesus doesn't go to any of these. He doesn't point to any of those witnesses. He, He says, you have two. You have two witnesses. Me and the Father. My testimony is true, Jesus says, because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And then he points to the Father. The second witness of Jesus is the Father himself. Look at verse 18. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Again, in the life of Christ, the Father is again and again a witness at his baptism. This voice boomed from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased at his transfiguration. Again, the father says from heaven, this is my beloved son. Listen to him at the cross. The father bears witness. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. The temple curtain rips in half. The father is saying he's mine. He's mine. Rather than accept the witness, they deride Jesus further when he is making this connection to the Father. Look at the question. Where is your father, by the way? Where's your dad? They're questioning his parentage. The the thought here being that Joseph has long ago died. Where is your dad? He's telling them this cosmic truth of coming from heaven, and they're mocking him. Where is he? Jesus says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. What an indictment. He's saying, you will not get it. You will not understand the light because you do not. Listen to what he's saying to the Pharisees, the religious elite of his day. He's saying, you do not know God. 
They pride themselves on knowing God. Again, like we said a couple of weeks ago, you can know a lot about God without knowing Him at all. And he says, if you knew the Father, you would know me. What a lesson for us. What a lesson for us. The main reason they don't accept the witness of Christ as the light is they don't know God Himself. And then we're told the context is is right there in the temple, uh, in the court of women. He gives us that little detail to let us know, hey, all of this is fired up and this is happening at night. He wants us to see that this is a charged situation and loaded with meaning for the people. He says, this is where it happened, right here at night. There's so many ways that we can think about this. The first is this, to to know Jesus is to know God himself. To know Jesus is to know God. To accept Jesus is to accept the living God. You cannot know Christ apart from God and vice versa. You cannot know the Father apart from the Son. Calvin says, quote, whoever aspires to know God and does not join with Christ must wander in a labyrinth, end quote. He says, you're stuck in a maze. You say you believe in God, but you are trapped. You don't know anything and you will never get out. How many people out there possibly even in here, are looking for God, looking for religion, looking for meaning in life apart from Christ. Jesus is saying to all of us, there is no meaning in life apart from me. You see nothing apart from me. There's a complete and utter link that Jesus is making between him and the Father. This bright blaze of glory exists because he comes from the Father. Certainly the Pharisees don't get it. So Jesus widens the gap. So he said to them, verse 21, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. It's a horrifying text. And then he doubles down and triples down. He's saying, look, apart from me, you're lost. You're going to die in your sin in the dark. It's a horrifying reality. And he says, where I'm going, you can't come. How does this square with the invitation that we heard earlier? Back in verse 12, follow me. Come to me. If you don't, if you don't walk, if you, if you don't, you're going to walk in the darkness. You're going to die there. The invitation to follow me. And here he's saying, you can't come. I'm going away and you cannot follow me. So which is it, Jesus? See, the issue is hearts. The issue of following Jesus is belief. It's faith in him. He's saying in verse 12, we can come if we believe who he is. He tells the Pharisees, if you don't believe, you will die in your sin. And you cannot come where I am going. Saying to the, these leaders, insofar as they're dead and remain in their sin, that they will not ever, ever find their way to the Father. You will never make it. 
What a huge lesson. We will never be with the Father in heaven apart from Christ. One reason the Pharisees keep rejecting Jesus is he doesn't look like the Messiah that they expect. He's from an out-of-the-way place. And they keep locking their gaze on their own expectations and framing him in their own ways. They think he should wear a crown, and one day he will, a crown of thorns. They think this Messiah should come conquering on a war horse and set Rome straight and get, get us free again. And he will come conquering. It'll just be on the colt of a donkey. They want one arrayed in royal to, to exude power, and one day in mockery, he will wear it. Everything from an earthly perspective just looks awful. But for those of us who believe, we look at it and we see a blaze of glory. And we, we just can't believe it. Look how glorious he is. So can we see it? Can we believe it? And if we reject this light, we don't come to Jesus. He tells us clearly where that goes. Dead in our sins. To reject the gospel, to reject Christ is to die hopeless in sin. What will happen to the light of the world? I love that this section wraps up here. What's going to happen? Where is all of this going? The Pharisees, more and more agitated with Jesus, finally culminate in the question, who are you then? Because everything, he's, he's just toppling all their expectations. And, and he's hinging everything on his identity. And then finally they break through with, who are you? He answers like this, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know I am He. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing him. He says this, you will see the bright blaze of my glory most clearly when I'm hung on a tree. That's when you're going to see it. You will see glory. When the world grows dark, what happened right before he died? What happened in the ninth plague? Before the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, what happened? God turned the lights out. And then the firstborn was spared only in the Passover lamb's death. Same thing is going on here. He's saying, you want to see where all of this stuff is going. You want to see where all of this stuff is coming together. You look at the tree. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then, then things will come together. This is the key to the passage. It's the key to the understanding this. Jesus, the light of the world, 
underwent darkness for us. This is the good news. He offers us light because he was going to taste death. He was going to face the darkness himself so that you and I could live in the light of his blazing glory. To offer us this, he had to take this darkness. He had to die not in his sins, but in ours. Isn't that good news? blazing glory of Christ coming into the world to be extinguished by it. Lights out so that the world can walk in his light. Is that us? Are we walking in his light? In his light can we say we see light? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. It is, it is light that we desperately need. It is life. Lord, remind us that we are, apart from you, walking in darkness in very precarious situations. And apart from you, we will die in our sins. But remind us, Lord, of this truly good news that you, Christ, are the light of the world. Draw us in. Give us hearts of faith. Lord, encourage your saints today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.